within the industry that we work, Mm -hmm. I do feel like I've run into a lot of narcissists. So a lot of times I'll do some reading on it and then they'll say, here are some of the signs that a person may be a narcissist. And my knee jerk is like, oh God, do any of these apply to me? Here we go, coping on the couch with Courtney and Brian, episode 85. Courtney Kelly, a mental health therapist. I, Brian Mulhern, a longtime mental health patient. And as we were sitting here last week preparing to do episode 84, Courtney, I stumbled upon an article about covert narcissism, Mm. kind of the undercover narcissist and how you can spot that person if you happen to be in a relationship with them. Now, we have covered narcissism in the past, and a lot of times I would say it tends to be overt. But the whole thing of the covert nature of this is what interested me. I can imagine it doesn't only apply to narcissism. I'm sure it can apply to some other issues. But it immediately had me thinking of a certain something that you and I have discussed in the past in terms of somebody who shall remain nameless. But it is a country music artist who we have met and interacted with. Such a charming and very, very nice guy, but you have had some reasons to believe that perhaps (laughs) this person might be a covert narcissist. So when I saw the article, I said, oh, we got to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) And first rule is never to diagnose people that you're not working with. But sometimes you have in the back of your head. You can't help it. You can't shut it off. Yeah. Yeah, Certain signs. It's hard to shut it off. So it is interesting, though, especially because if you Google this, it comes up everywhere. This seems to be the buzz right now of how to deal with a narcissist. But Mm -hmm. I think it is interesting that whole covertness, like you don't realize it until maybe you're deep in a relationship with someone or you're just like, huh, they seem really kind, but are they just doing that? for show or how come it always goes back to them and it's all about them and all of these things start to come up and sometimes there's other things that we're covert about and I think really aren't we all covert in certain ways we show a certain face to the world and sometimes there's other things that we are burying that we don't want to acknowledge as part of ourselves so sometimes I think we all have this quality and I do find that with clients coming in sometimes this happens they're presenting problem as we would call it maybe one thing, but into the therapy we go and sessions in, we start to realize maybe there's some other issues going on that they weren't either aware of or didn't want to bring forth. So you're saying that this covertness Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily intentional. It can be a subconscious thing because Mm -hmm. I'm guessing maybe on some level, you might not want to believe that you are what you are, in fact. So (laughs) maybe you're trying to bury that too. And then if somebody else figures it out, they think that you're purposefully hiding it from them. And then there's that butting of heads and that could cause even more problems. And maybe it's not that you're trying to hide it from them so much as hide it from yourself. You don't want to acknowledge because it is hard, right? I mean, there's certain traits. I think we all have, there's the light and the dark in all of us. And we all have traits that we want to disown. We don't want to take on. But I do work with people around this when they're ready, because this can be difficult work, because sometimes people don't want to see that in themselves because of the ego, right? The ego comes up and says, well, I'm right, so you're wrong. And so, no, it's not my fault. It's yours. How narcissistic. (laughs) So it's very difficult. I have to tiptoe. But for some clients, they're ready to do some of this deeper work. And a lot of the stuff has to do with shadows, which is our darker sides that we don't want to acknowledge. But if we don't acknowledge it, it can control us in certain ways. 
and it can add problems to our life. You know, it's funny in terms of this covertness and to bring up the narcissism thing again, I'm kind mm-hmm. of fascinated with the whole narcissism yeah. thing because within the industry that we work, mm-hmm. I do feel like I've run into a lot of narcissists. So a lot of times I'll do some reading on it and then they'll say, here are some of the signs that a person may be a narcissist. And my knee jerk is like, oh God, do any of these apply to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you Google symptoms. <laughs> right. If you're sick with something and you're like, oh my gosh, do I have this? So then yeah. you start doing the checklist. Like, am I a narcissist? And maybe covertly, I don't even know that I'm a narcissist. <laughs> it's so covert, I have no idea. <laughs> and it is. I think that's one of those things. And that's why it can be helpful to go to a professional and really talk about it. And a lot of times when you're concerned about it, you might not actually have it. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're really empathetic to others and you're really caring about how others feel, then no, you may not be narcissistic. But aren't we all in some times, in some ways, we might just think about ourselves and sometimes it comes out in certain ways, but we are not narcissistic per se. And this is why they say, too, even with physical ailments, you should mm-hmm. never go to WebMD. I saw Ricky Gervais on The Tonight Show earlier this week, and Jimmy Fallon asked him, are you a hypochondriac? And he said, yeah, I think I am, because anytime I have something wrong with myself, I Google it to mm-hmm. see what the symptoms are, and I won't stop reading until I get down to cancer, just so I can completely <laughs> totally freak myself out, even yeah. if it's like 40th on the list. Exactly. And that's why... You need to go to a doctor to ask, hey, is this what I fear that it might be? And the same thing when it comes to your mental health with Mm -hmm. a therapist. Absolutely, because we can sit there and do checklists with you. We can ask you different things, different stories of things that have happened in your life and get an idea of what's happening interpersonally. It also may be because other people in your life have some strong personalities and are manipulating you to believe that you were the wrong one all the time. So sometimes we have to tease that out and see exactly what's going on. But like you said, with narcissists, a lot of times they have that big sense of importance, like everything should revolve around them. They may be very envious of others or believe that other people are very envious of them. Sometimes people, it will look like they're very confident, but sometimes they're actually really insecure. And that's why they need all this praise all of the time. That preoccupation that can get in the way of their relationship relationships. When you are dealing with somebody who's very narcissistic, sometimes you just want to give them the praise and say, okay, yes, take the praise. It's okay. But also have limits with them and have boundaries so that you don't get manipulated on the other end. It's funny that you bring up the insecurity with narcissism because this is something that I've been telling my wife for ages now. I think the insecure narcissist is on the rise. Mm -hmm. And it almost sounds like a contradiction in terms. But I said to my wife, I think the culture and especially especially the social media culture with the younger generation Mm. has developed this monster where it's like, how many likes am I getting and all this other stuff and I got to put my whole life out there and if this person didn't comment on it and all this other stuff and you start getting inside your head and it's just all about you and needing to feed that beast constantly. But the other thing that I wanted to ask you too in terms of the covertness and it may not just apply to narcissism, it can be in some other areas. As we do here on the podcast all the time, we try to look at things from the patient's perspective and the therapist's perspective. And the question that I have for you is when you encourage people, hey, don't Google what is wrong with you. Come and see me. Mm -hmm. When somebody does come in and they fear that they might have a problem and maybe it's something else, but you figure out that it is another thing and you have to reveal it to them and you say, you know what? You are a covert this, that, or the other thing. (laughs) How much of the time when you make that revelation, do they try to fight you on it? Well, (laughs) You have to be 
very gentle. It's establishing the rapport, Mm -hmm. understanding where they're coming from, empathizing with them and understanding how they're feeling about things. But it can be very tricky, Brian. I remember there was a client who in their family, they had bipolar Mm -hmm. and they were very affected by it. However, for themselves, and you know, a lot of times we're the ones who might lack some insight because we're afraid to know certain things. This person, this was many years ago, but I'll never forget it. They came in and when I was kind of assessing them, a lot of times when people, if they're bipolar and they present as depressed and the doctor puts them on an antidepressant, if they don't have a mood stabilizer to go with that, it can send them into a manic episode. Okay. So we had discussed that they had that previously and there were some things going on with that. And I said, Ooh, that's interesting. Like sometimes you have all of this energy and you do all of these things and you're impulsive. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm on top of the world and I don't have to sleep and all these kind of things. But the person was not ready to hear that they had bipolar. And it was pretty clear that they kept getting misdiagnosed as depression because that's what they kept presenting as. So when I had to discuss the possibility that it's in your family and these are presenting symptoms, the person didn't really want to go there and they weren't ready. And sometimes we plant the seeds so that they become ready sometime. But shortly thereafter, they really weren't coming back to therapy. And that can happen sometimes. That's a diagnosis I think that nobody would want Mm -hmm. to hear. So I get that one. And I feel like there's a lot of stigma associated with that. But that's also part of the process of therapy is to eliminate those stigmas and make you feel okay about yourself. And one of the benefits, because I've gone to therapy for so long, I think there is initially a fear for people. They don't Mm want to know what's wrong with them. But I'm at a point right now that I think I have a lot of awareness Mm -hmm. of all of the things that I have wrong with myself. And it is also to the point that I've become so comfortable with all of them, I can kind of make fun of them. Mm -hmm. And the good news is that might be a coping mechanism to a degree. But the good news is if you know what is wrong with you, Mm -hmm. you can work on those things. It's like what they say with alcoholism. The first step is admitting that you have a problem. Mm -hmm. And then once you recognize what that problem is, what can I do to fix this? And that's why you should never be afraid to find out what's wrong with you. And that's the thing. For that one person, I've had a million other examples of people that we were able to walk through it, do a lot of education and help them to get comfortable with things to say, okay, what can I do to help myself? And so it can really be a great process. But again, you can't expect that everybody's going to be ready at that time to hear some of these things. So we have to go easy. We have to go slowly. But the education piece is so important. I can't tell you how many people I've had come to me who did not understand what anxiety was. They thought they were the only person who suffered from this. And breaking it down and telling them all about where it comes from and people, especially who have been through trauma and how your body is actually acting in a way it thinks it's helping because Mm -hmm. it's protecting you and trying to explain that to them. To me, the education piece is so vital because once you understand that you are not alone in this, that it can be very common, a lot of these things that people deal with and that there's a lot of tools and medication and different things that you can do and resources, then they feel much better. But it is scary, of course. And I always try to put myself in their shoes that this is a scary thing to be talking about. Never would I be flipping about it and just be like, oh, you got this problem. Well, no, like, let's discuss this. Let's assess this and let's go slowly. Two things that I want to say about that, because two of the things that I went into therapy for in the first place was depression and anxiety. And while I felt like I knew what both of them were, I definitely didn't know how to address both and especially the anxiety. That to me Mm. was the biggest hurdle that I needed to clear. And I will tell people, and I've mentioned this before, but it's 
worth mentioning again. The Bible for me that really got me to understand what anxiety was and educate me and teach me how to deal with it is Feeling Good by Dr. David mm-hmm. Burns. Oh my God, that book literally changed my life mm-hmm. in terms of things like fortune telling. He breaks down certain types of anxiety yeah. and you catch yourself doing them. And when you catch it because you know what's wrong, you can stop it. Yeah. But if you don't know what's wrong, you're just kind of flying blind. And mm-hmm. a lot of times your instinct is to do the wrong thing, which only makes it worse. Right. Mindfulness, too, because you can notice now mm-hmm. you have that insight because a lot of things are just so automatic. You've done it so many times that you don't realize that you're a part of that. You think, oh, this just keeps happening or this is just how it goes. No, like, let's notice that and then change the course. And so that is big, the education piece. And you go, oh, OK, I get it now. It makes some sense. It makes it easier to cope with it and to change things. Now, the second thing that I want to address is this for the people who are afraid to hear what's wrong with them. And look, I get that anxiety. Mm-hmm. I learned that from feeling good, Dr. Burns. <laughs> what I want to say is if you want to get a feel for how to deal with somebody telling that you have something wrong with you, get married. <laughs> you and I... And then you'll get used to it. <laughs> had an example, and this is kind of a baby step of how I work with my wife, and it's also how I've learned to work with the therapist. We had a discussion on our radio show earlier this week about how every Thursday night I sit there <laughs> what and a I nice, suffer. Nice. And just like that, it's the new Sex and the City reboot. Now, normally, I would never have done something Mm -hmm. like that in my past. I couldn't tolerate it. But one day, my wife said to me, hey, you know what? You're kind of hogging the remote and controlling what both of us watch all the time. And I don't necessarily want to watch what you want to watch all the time. Are you narcissistic with the remote? (laughs) (laughs) It's all about you, little Hearn. (laughs) Let me Google it. I'll let you know. (laughs) So what I did was I could have taken that in one of two ways. I could have felt very insulted and Mm -hmm. then lashed back and started a fight and made things worse and lived in denial and continued to do these things that were wrong and then maybe end up divorced if I continue down that path Mm -hmm. doing all of these unhealthy things. Or I can listen to that person and say, well, does that actually have some merit? And I think I learned that from therapy. I'm like, you know what? She is right. I Mm -hmm. do force her to watch a lot of things. Because a lot of times I don't even ask. I just assume, ah, she won't mind. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, she pointed it out to me. It's a male thing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, did I say that out loud? It's true. (laughs) I'm not going to argue that. But the thing is, that's maturity. And that's how you have to look at therapy. You have to be willing to hear Mm -hmm. that there is something wrong with you. You have to be willing to accept it or to at least consider it. And I think also working in this industry has taught me how to do that too. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? Sometimes people have a point and sometimes high internet trolls, they don't. Mm -hmm. So in that way, if you are given the tools to differentiate, to be able to get a thicker skin, to be able to consider what the other person is feeling, what the other person is telling you, suddenly now your toolbox is filling up with tools that are only going to help you going forward. Right. And it can be a struggle, but the critical thinking is so important in that because it helps you to put the ego aside because again mm-hmm. once the ego rears its head it's like no I'm right you're wrong and like you said people end up divorced over that oh, all yeah. the time because they dig their heels in and they're like that's it I'm not and I'm not a huge fan of Dr. Phil but I do like when he says 
do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can keep saying you're right, you're right, you're right, but you're going to be alone in your room with your remote right. <laughs> and be like, well, I was right about that, wasn't I? And so sometimes we have to concede that maybe we're not right. Or even if we think we're right, maybe somebody else also has a point. Right? Now, truth be told, about halfway through this past Thursday's episode mm-hmm. of And Just Like That, I was like, well, maybe divorce wouldn't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't have to watch this drivel every Thursday night, right? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though. It definitely has improved our relationship. Mm-hmm. And not only do you need to give your loved ones a voice, give a professional a voice. Yeah. This is what they're educated to do. And they're not just dealing with you. I think that's the other thing, is that people go into therapy and they feel like they're being judged. Look, my friend Courtney here is a mental health therapist. I've become friendly with therapists based mm-hmm. on my life experience. And you were just telling me an anecdote the other day. You people are dealing with so many people with so many problems. You're not going home just totally laser focused on one person. Right. Oh, what a mess that person no, is. No, no, no. You're more about how can I help this yes. one, that one, the other one? Am I doing the right thing? Am I mm-hmm. saying the right thing? You're not standing in judgment. No, it's more about judging ourselves right. to make sure if we're helping them, if we have enough training in that area that they're needing. Because a lot of times what happens, like I said, people present in one area that you are pretty good at helping. And then before you know it, something else comes up and you're like, oh, maybe I'm not a specialist in that area. Maybe they need to see someone else. Am I going to be able to help them well in this because that's what happens. Like I said, somebody will present and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they may have a substance issue. Maybe it's not just the depression. There's something else coming up. Oh, there's an eating disorder. There could be all of these other things that are popping up. And so we have to be able to assess for that and also treat that. And if you first came into the person, sometimes there's got to be some adjustment as to where the therapy is going to go. But just having that flexibility and hopefully having a therapist that you connect with and you trust so that you feel like, okay, I can be open with them. I can be honest with them. And I tell people, listen, if you're not ready to go there, or there's certain things they say, hey, I have this issue, but I don't want to go there. Okay, that's fine. We will wait on that. And a good therapist will give you some time on that. But we'll also, if there's a concern that's really interfering with your functioning, we'll also maybe try to shine a light on that. So you hear that, people? Courtney is not making it all about you. She's making it about herself, (laughs) i.e. covert narcissist. (laughs) Right? If I'm doing a good enough job, yes. But sometimes it is. We all have our insecurities, right? Somebody will have a problem that maybe it's just holding a space for them to be able to be honest and they feel amazing when they leave. But to us, we're like, did I help them? Did I say the right thing? Did I offer the right resources? That kind of thing. A lot of clients, they just want to be able to get it out and be heard without that judgment. Because a lot of times if they go to people in their life, people who love you, they're well-meaning, but they also want what they want. They want you to feel better so that they feel better. So sometimes they're trying to push you in certain directions. I feel like as with some physical ailments and maladies, some are easier to take care of than others. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the same thing when it comes to mental health. Mm -hmm. There are some things that are going to take a lot of legwork and others maybe not so much. I always feel like the stubborn nature of a narcissist, that might be a difficult egg to crack at Mm -hmm. times, or it might take a little bit longer than some other issues. For the covert narcissist, does it take even longer because you have to make them realize, especially if they're not aware, hey, you are a narcissist, and then once you make them aware of that, then you have to chip away at that stone too? Well, it's interesting talking to people when you're suspecting that there's something going on with that, with narcissism, or sometimes that's already on their diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of working with them to 
help them with some empathy or understanding other people's point of view and things that they can maybe do. Sometimes when people come in and say they can't read social cues and they have a hard time with that, we would try to help them with understanding what other people are meaning when they say certain things or when they present in certain ways because they don't have that skill set automatically. Something that we just take for granted. We see somebody, we go, oh, they look a little off today. They're feeling upset. Someone else, they're not going to see it that way. Well, same thing with narcissism. They may not realize that they're just not being empathetic or understanding someone. So it's kind of breaking that down and saying, well, if somebody's coming to you and they're concerned about something, maybe they need to be heard. Like, how can you give them a space and make it not about you, but just about them? It can be very difficult. You have to be sensitive to it. You can't come in there full <laughs> throttle, revved up yeah. and coming in hot. With other things, too, when we deal with people, that's a big complaint that I hear all the time is interpersonally dealing with people who get under our skin, not just people who are narcissistic. But I always say, like, if somebody really gets you upset or you love them, like they're just so amazing to you or they drive you crazy, not so much in the middle, but usually on those two ends, it's either something that you really love about yourself and that you really want to see more of or that you really can't stand about yourself and mm-hmm. that you have disowned. Not just to so say, oh, yeah, OK, that guy's kind of a annoying. But if like every time they come into therapy and they're like, oh my God, this guy, you know, guess what he did? Then I start to say, okay, this really gets under your skin. Is there something here? Now, what I'm thinking is it might be a trait that you have disowned. There might be something in there. Now, how I present that to someone, I have to go slowly because again, all the ego comes up and is like, what are you talking about? I'm not like them. So I had to do this work deeply for myself because I figured if I'm going to have other people do it, then I got to do this myself. And it is really difficult. But if anyone's interested, it, it comes from Carl Jung from mm-hmm. Jungian Therapy. Yeah. And there's a book that Debbie Ford wrote, Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Really interesting. It's all about certain traits that we have that we have disowned that we don't like about ourselves. We might have learned it in childhood that it's bad to have it. For me, it was laziness. I learned at a young age, like, stop being lazy. You did a half-assed job on this, that kind of thing. It always stuck in my head. I always wanted to do the best job ever. But what happened is, over time, in all my jobs, especially my waitressing jobs, I got to clean this. I got to do this. I got to do 110%. Overcompensating. Yes. And it would drive me crazy and probably the people around me too, right? So <laughs> Working with the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> I was like, do, 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 do. So the thing of it is, for me, if I ever saw lazy people, and I worked with one guy in particular who was so lazy. Now, he was smart. He would come in, make the most money. It was a high-end restaurant. And he would make the most money and do the least amount. And he would get out of there before he did any of the side work. And I would get so fumed and so angry every night. Covertly lazy. <laughs> I was like, oh. And he would come in on his days off. And where would he sit? In my section. So I had to wait on him. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I would get so fumed, right? Did you do stuff to his food? Come on, so, be honest. No, I did not. But what I did was I said, okay, this guy is driving me bananas. I got to do some work on this. So I did from the Jungian therapy. What I did was I figured out that he has laziness as a trait. And I hate that trait about myself. So I said, what can I like about him? And I was like, what can I like about him? I was so mad. So I figured out he's really funny. He's charming, right? And then I said, what's a good thing about laziness? And I'm like, there's nothing good about laziness. I'm like, no, there has to be something good about laziness. This is when you split and you talk to yourself. And I figured out it's good to be lazy sometimes and that sometimes you need to take a break, right? Sometimes you need to put your feet up. And he was very smart because he made the most money and he did the least amount of work. So I was thinking of good traits. You have to give him some credit. I had to. And people who are lazy too, they're a little bit more laid back. Mm -hmm. Whereas if people are like you and like me, we're a little bit more high strung. We have more stress in our lives. We don't take that time out that we might need. Of course, there's a middle ground between the two, which is where you 
probably should be. But yeah, you do have to give merit to the other side of that. So I did the work on it. And so he would come in and sit in my section and I'd be like, okay, take a deep breath. And I would reframe and think, what do I like about him? What do I like about him? And so when he would come in, he would work. And before he would leave, instead of being like, did you do your side work? And get all mad at him. (laughs) And then of course, I'm sending that stress to him and he's feeling it and giving it back to me. I started to soften because I started to think about what was good about him. And before you know it, Brian, this really did work because I've done it with multiple people. And I would be like, hey, lazy. And I would laugh and he would laugh. And I go, why don't you do some side work before you leave? And I wasn't upset at all. I was just having fun with him because I found a new attitude with him. And he would chuckle and go, yeah, I am kind of lazy. He's like, all right, what do you want me to do? And before you know it, we were joking around. We were friends and we actually had a good report all because I shifted the relationship. He didn't shift it. I shifted it. So I tell people, if you are able to do this work and it is challenging and your ego will be jumping up and down and being like, why do you want to talk to that lazy guy for? But if you can do this work and figure out what it is about you that you have disowned and try to love it again, you don't have to be it, but understand that it has a value, then you can actually project that with the other person and shift a relationship. Because if you change the dynamic, it can't stay the same. So If that were me, and if I were waiting on the lazy person and I felt the way that you did, when he put his order in, I'd say, oh yeah, I'll get around to it eventually. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> when I damn well feel like it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this stuff works and I have done it with other relationships that weren't going anywhere in my life and I knew that I needed to do it. And it's very difficult, again, but it can be so rewarding because these unconscious pieces in ourselves that we don't acknowledge. And if we can just shine a light on that, we can be a lot happier. If we can start to wrap up here with an important piece. Now, we've established the fact that if you feel like you have issues, you Mm -hmm. shouldn't be Googling them. You should go in and you should speak to a therapist. However, Courtney, let's just say that you are somebody, you're perfectly fine. You feel Mm -hmm. like you have your crap together, but you start to suspect that somebody in your life might be, let's say, for example, Mm -hmm. a covert narcissist. Right. What advice do you have for that person? Because with your years of training, Mm -hmm. you know how to finesse the situation. You know how to approach them over time to get that done. If I'm somebody who feels like I'm the victim of this, how do I broach the subject with that person without pouring gasoline on an already existing fire? Right. Well, there's so many things you can Google and there's so many articles you can go to psychology. (laughs) Psychology today. There's a lot of things about like how to cope with a narcissist and that kind of thing. The first thing I would say is you can get some therapy around Mm -hmm. it and say, listen, I need some help. This situation, if it's top of mind, then it's causing stress. It's making you upset. You're questioning yourself. Sometimes there's gaslighting going on. So you're feeling totally manipulated. You feel like you're the one who's wrong. So having that other person to give you that support and to have you understand what's going on with this type of personality or whatever this difficult personality that you're dealing with, I think that's really important in getting that education and that support. Like I mentioned earlier, a lot of it has to do with limit setting with your expectations, with making sure that you're getting your needs met. It can be very difficult in those conversations, depending on the person that you're talking to and the type of relationship and all of these things. It is really important to get that help with someone. And I've done that with people, especially when there was issues with couples too, of 
figuring out referrals for couples therapy, or maybe the other person would be willing to get some help. And how do you broach that conversation with them? So I think it is important to work with a professional and get some of that advice. But like I said, there's a ton of stuff and there's books out there galore on dealing with difficult personalities in your life and narcissism. It can just be so painful because you love the person and you want to be with them. But if you're feeling like they're not working with you on something, and a lot of times too, we put so much time and effort into something. We don't want to leave it because of that fallacy we have. Well, I invested all this time. So I don't want to leave now. So even if it's hurting me. Oh, see, and I had this relationship once. I'll never forget it. This was even before I was a therapist and I was giving support to this woman. And she said, oh, this guy. And every time she would complain about her boyfriend, I said, well, how long you been together? She said, 10 years. I go, well, when was it good? She goes, the first year and a half. I said, oh my gosh, you put in all that time. You put another eight and a half years in. And she said, well, I invested all this time. I don't want to leave it now. I said, you've been complaining for over eight years about this relationship. But I think that just goes to show you that that's what we do when we invest in something we want to return. And therapy can help people to also see when it's time to let some of those unhealthy relationships go. We need more people like that in our lives who take the same approach to mediocre podcasts. (laughs) Oh, the money we could make. (laughs) Well, Courtney, regardless of what side of the equation someone may be on when Mm -hmm. it comes to the covert issues, if they have any questions, how can they contact you? Absolutely. Wellness at WCTK.com. You can also go to our Wellness 411 page, catcountry.com. We've got the podcast link up there. You can send people there and lots of resources, too. And, of course, we're all over social media at Cat Country Mornings on most platforms. We have individual pages. Courtney is Courtney with the C. Kelly, E-Y, Bedard, sometimes. I'm Brian Mulhern all the time. Brian with an I, H-E-R-N on Mulhern. And, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Tell your friends to listen to Coping on the Couch with Courtney. Courtney and Brian, leave a review. And especially if you think you got one of those covert people on your hands. <laughs> oh, yeah. Get them to listen for sure. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Not too mm-hmm. bad, huh? Mm-hmm. You can do a little covert ops work yourself on the other side. <laughs> they won't ops. even know. All right, Courtney. Thank you so much for your insights as always. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Coping on the Couch with Courtney and Brian. I want to talk-